0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your host, Doug Sweeney. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I am your host, Doug Sweeney, and I'm joined today by Beeson alumnus and pastor of First Baptist Church of Pelham, Alabama. Davin Watkins. Pastor Watkins has been the pastor of First Baptist in Pelham since 2015. He's been an alumnus of this Divinity School since 1999. Uh, I am excited to say that he'll be preaching in Beeson Chapel in just a couple of weeks. And for all these reasons and more, we're excited to have you on the podcast today. Pastor Watkins, welcome. Thank you, Dean. I appreciate it so much. A lot of people in our area know who you are. You've been a pastor in our area for a while. But just in case there's some people listening who don't know you yet, tell us just a little bit about where you come from, how you came to know the Lord, how you came to figure out the Lord wanted you to be a pastor.
1: I was born and raised in Kentucky, and um, I was one who had the privilege of being raised in a Christian home where mom and dad uh, loved the Lord and modeled Christianity for us. I'm in the middle of three children, have an older sister and younger brother. And, you know, we affectionately say that we had a drug problem when we were younger because we were drugged to church every time the doors <laughs> were open. Uh, but church was not just another thing that we did. Uh, my parents did a great job of teaching and instilling in us a love for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So church was always very, very important. I remember April the 15th, 1981. Mm-hmm. It was that night that... I was really uh, beginning to ask some questions about the meaning of Jesus and why he came and what was the purpose. It was right around Easter time. Uh, I was nearly seven years old, and my mom and dad were there to supply the answers to my questions, and that night I prayed to receive Jesus. And looking back on it, I realized that it was on that night that the Lord allowed me to uh, realize my sin and recognize my Savior. And now here I am all these decades later. And I'm still realizing my sin and recognizing my Savior in a deeper, more profound way. Uh, but I know that on that night that I called on the name of the Lord and that he saved me. And so I was involved in church, uh, always there. Fast forward about 10 years when I was 17 and I was about to graduate high school, go off to college. All those questions were being asked. Where are you going to go to college? What are you going to do with your life? What's what, What's the next step? And I didn't have a good answer for any of those questions. And so I did what I was taught. And I went back and I prayed and then asked the Lord, Lord, what do you want? And I felt like he really was telling me, I want you to give your life to me in full service. Mm -hmm. And Dean, that scared me to death. Mm -hmm. Um, That was not on my radar. And so Jonah became very real and very personal uh, because like Jonah, I tried to outrun the Lord. Mm -hmm. Uh, Went in the opposite direction, uh, built my testimony, uh, just tried to outrun the righteous one and outmaneuver the Messiah. And it couldn't be done. And several months later, uh, by God's design and by his sovereignty, um, I was at a fellowship of Christian athletes camp and God broke in like the hound from heaven Hmm. and just convicted me of of my sin and just uh, drew me unto himself afresh like never before. And so I went back home and um dusted off my Bible because I hadn't been reading it, um, started to pray again because I'd stopped doing that. And so I went to I went to Georgetown College in Georgetown, Kentucky, uh, majored in history, minored in communication. That's where I met Jane Ellen. And then uh, we got married after I graduated from college, and then
0: we came down to Beeson. And were you thinking while well, you were a college student, I'm going to do history and communication because I, I, I may well be a pastor someday? You know, there, I had a great pastor friend who told
1: me, when you go to seminary, you're going to get all of the classes of New Testament, Old Testament, Greek, and Hebrew. You may want to think about doing a discipline like history, yeah. because it's a similar discipline. In that, you're going to read a lot of books and write a lot of papers, and you've got to defend an argument that you make. And if you can learn that discipline in history it will transfer beautifully into theology. Mm-hmm. And so I took the advice of, Ted Sisk was his name, and um, I found it to be very, very helpful.
0: Yeah, that's wise counsel. Yeah. And communications because you thought, if I'm going to be a preacher, this would be useful? That's right, All right, that's right. Great. So how'd you hear about Beeson Divinity School? You came in the earlier years of the Divinity School before it was as well known as it is today. Absolutely. And it was that same
1: pastor, Ted Sisk. I sat down with him and, you know, I'm Southern Baptist. And so we talked through, you know, some of the big six seminaries that I could attend. And then he said, you know, you have other options these days that I didn't have when I was coming up. And one option is this this new start school, uh, only been around for about 12 years, Sanford University, Birmingham, Alabama, Beeson Divinity School. Have you heard of it? And I said, no, sir, I have not. He said, you may want to check it out. And I remember that when I came down for my on-campus visit, I had the privilege of sitting down with the founding dean, Timothy George. And in that conversation, he opened his office. Uh, We sat down for, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 minutes. He heard my story, and then he said, can I share with you the story of Beeson Divinity School? And I said, absolutely. And in that conversation, he made a statement from Mr. Beeson where he said, I want to have my name on a place that produces pastors who can preach. Mm. That statement stuck me like barbed wire. Mm. And I thought to myself, that's that's why I was created. That's what I want. I want to be a preaching pastor.
0: How did you know that at that time in your life? I, I bet well, there's some prospective students who are wondering about all this stuff right now. Right. Did you, did you know when you were a teenager, college student, you were appropriately gifted? Were there older people who were speaking to you? How, what were you thinking? Well, as soon as I surrendered to God's call
1: upon my life, so I was a senior in high school, the very first thing my pastor did was the very next Sunday night, he put me in the pulpit. I don't know how wise that was. <laughs> I oftentimes think back, and I don't remember much about that sermon. I know nobody else remembers anything about that sermon either. But I do remember thinking, this is why I was made. Hmm. So very early on when I surrendered to God's call upon my life, I figured that I was going to be as a preaching pastor. I figured, I figured that God was calling me to preach, in the context of the local church. And so that was solidified for me pretty early. And I was a student pastor uh, the last couple of years of college, and and even while I was doing that, uh, you know, I felt like I was I was shepherding, I was pastoring those students that were,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: under under my charge and care. And then finishing up in college and coming to Beeson and sitting down with the dean, when he said that phrase, pastors who can
0: preach. I thought, yeah, this is a match made in heaven. Yeah. And you were married at the end of college? By the time you got to Beeson, you were already married? That's right. We
1: got married in the summer between my graduation of Georgetown College and my entrance into Beeson. (laughs) We got married. We went on our honeymoon. We came back, put everything we owned in two small cars. Mm -hmm. And off we came to Birmingham, Alabama. Jane Ellen, my wife, uh, was a house director uh, in residence life for Sanford, and so uh, we actually lived in the 80 Pie house huh. here on campus for the
0: four years that I was here at Beeson. Wow. We've got a lot in common, more than I knew. <laughs> I, too, was a history major in college. I, too, was married right after college ended. We went on a honeymoon and went, went moved directly yeah. to seminary. Yeah. And... Uh, my goodness, did Wilma appreciate Jane Ellen's contribution to the Pastors Wise panel a couple of weeks back. That was fantastic. I think uh, I think you may have married up. I definitely <laughs> married up. And Jane Ellen was uh, nervous about
1: that. Uh, she would tell you that that was kind of out of her comfort zone, out of her wheelhouse. Um, she could sing all day long. Uh, but when it comes to speaking in front of people, she does not feel like that's her gifting. But I knew she would do a great job. Mm. And thank you for allowing her to do that.
0: Oh, yeah. All right, so what was Beeson like for the two of you? I mean, it's been a while, and I'm sure you've matured in ministry in some pretty major ways since the days when you were a, a seminary student. But can you look back and identify some ways in which God used your time at Beeson to kind of form you into the pastor you've become?
1: Absolutely. I've long been told that we live life as debtors. So we're indebted to the people who have gone before us. We're indebted to the people that have poured into us. And when I think of who I am as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's because of Beeson. Hmm. Um, You know, I remember uh, people making snide comments about, you know, seminary is really cemetery. Right. That was never my experience. Hmm. It was not a place of death. It was a place of life. It was a place of transformation. It was a place where... God was just chiseling away the dross and removing the dross from my life, and and really fashioning me. And he, and He used He used people to do that. Frank Thielman, Ken Matthews. I mean, those are just some of the people that God placed along our path just to just to really fashion and form us. So at Beeson, just that that passion to preach. Uh, that preaching is not the only thing that a pastor does, but it is the most important thing that a pastor does. I mean, that was just really solidified into me and just fanned it into flame, uh, this desire that, uh, like Jeremiah says, this fire is shut up in my bones. Woe to me if I don't preach. And, and and all of that was really just cultivated here at Beeson, not just through the relationship with professors, but also with, you know, your students and and friendships that were forged there and you know, chapel services, and um, yeah, I think back, and it was at chapel, it was probably one of the lectures um, that uh, Haddon Robinson came, Mm -hmm. and that's when I got introduced to him, and I remember thinking, um, when I graduate from Beeson, and when the time comes to do a doctorate, I don't care where that man is, Uh I want to go study with him. And by God's grace, the Lord allowed that to happen. Uh, but if it wasn't for Beeson, you know, if it just wasn't for Beeson, I, I wouldn't be the preacher that I am. I wouldn't be the pastor that I am. Um, I wouldn't have had the opportunities that I've had. Beeson really, truly uh, forged and shaped who I am.
0: How busy were you during seminary? What I've got going on in the back of my mind is I talk with prospective seminary students all the time these days, and we all know that these days people don't have to move and go to a seminary and everybody feels very busy. Hmm. I'm just wondering about your experience. Um, If you had it to do over again, would you go to all the trouble of picking up roots, moving to Birmingham, enrolling in person in a seminary? Or do you remember those days as being so busy and so full of really important ministry, even outside of the seminary that you might be tempted to enroll in a seminary program online just for the sake of your sanity and time management?
1: I think I would say I would do it the same way all over again every day and twice on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Um, We are relational creatures. Um, Charles Carter would always tell us everything is predicated on relationships everything in life is predicated on relationships. Hmm. Fundamentally, your relationship with God through the accomplished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, through the empty tomb, and then every other relationship flows out of that one. And so, um, I know it's easy for me to say because it was just my experience, but it was such a good experience being here, uh, life on life, um, you know, sharing the same space, sharing the same experiences. Um, I, I think it's... It's just really invaluable. Um, I think I would do it all over again. Uh, the reality of that really comes home, even as we think back three years ago with COVID
0: mm. and
1: COVID forcing the church to become a virtual enterprise. Yeah, The church has never been designed to be a virtual enterprise. Mm. So I'll never forget Easter of 2020, I'm preaching to an empty sanctuary. Mm. Now the message is still vibrant because we got some good material, right? <laughs> I mean, we sure do. The tomb is empty, and it makes a difference. So the the message is vibrant, and it's going. But the but the I'll never forget standing there. I'm I'm standing in front of an empty uh, just sanctuary. a camera. Yeah, that's right. And just thinking, there's something not right here. Mm. Um, and you know, we tell people all the time, you know, there's just something about being. In the room where it happens, mm. uh, you know you can you can you can go online and you can zoom the church experience, and you can get a lot from it, but it's just not the same as being in the room where it happens. And I think that translates well into theological education. You can get a lot, you can glean a lot from online experiences, sure, but it's not the same as being in the room where it happens in the place where the teaching, you know, occurs and, and just life experiences happen.
0: I agree with you completely and I'm <laughs> glad to hear you say it. And I didn't prompt Pastor Watkins to say that. No I you just did not. I just asked him off the cuff. So, no you did uh, not. Alright, so after you were done with seminary what did your ministry look like in the early years?
1: I've had the privilege of pastoring three churches over the last 23 years. And so first we went to First Baptist Owenton from 2000 to 2008, and then 1st Baptist Pleasant Grove from 2008 to 2015, and then 1st Baptist Pelham, 2015 to present. Um, And were you the sole or senior pastor each of those times? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. So the first congregation, it was a country setting. It was a farming community, and we were a congregation of about 200 people. And that first church was very patient with me, but there I learned the rude rhythm that Sunday rolls around every seven days. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and when you're preaching in a local context, and in that kind of context, you're talking about Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and a Wednesday morning Bible study. I mean, all those preparations, and they come at you fast and furious. In addition to that, learning how to pastor. Hmm. Learning how to pastor people, how to how to get to know them, how to love them well, the, how to understand the different dynamics of different personalities hmm. within the church. yeah um, and how all that interrelates. And so those first few years, what I learned, I think the most was at the end of every given week, I would ask myself, did I have enough time or did I take the time to prepare? to stand up on Sunday morning and say thus saith the Lord and number two did I take the time, make the time to show people that I love them because if I if I'm prepared to preach and if I've been there for people to show them that I love them the week was a
0: success regardless of what else happened in the week it was a success. So what was the hardest of those two things for you personally to learn? That's a question I'm not sure I know the answer because You've already talked about how you love preaching, and you right. feel like you were made to be right. a preacher. But you're also right. a very loving, friendly, personable guy. What What was the Lord doing when you were a young pastor? How was He stretching you? And you know, what were the hard knocks you had to get? The realization of of
1: of getting getting out there to be with people and pastor people um, it takes time, and it's more than just walking slowly among the people on Sunday morning. Right. So, And as a truth. young
0: preacher, yeah. it just takes it takes a long time to get ready to yes. to stand in the pulpit and preach or it to does. lead a Bible study. That's right. The older you get, you still work hard on it. You still right. get a little nervous. You still get excited about it. But you, you're in a rhythm. You kind of right. know what you're used to and kind of how it goes. And.
1: Right, right. And I, I think for me, the, the tougher of those two was making sure that I'm, made
0: the time and took the time to show people that I love them. Yeah, Yeah. Without worrying that that was taking time away from preparation to preach. Right, right, because
1: you can feel ready but you always know I could spend more time reading this, tweaking this, recrafting this phrase Uh, because preaching is more of an art than a science. There are some, you know, there's certainly principles that you have to follow in preaching preparation and delivery um but there's also an art to it and um yeah so just just realizing that there's only so many hours in the day yeah yeah so time management did become a and I think I'm still learning about time management but really early on in those first few years time management was enormous and and even while I was at Beeson, I was a student pastor. And the pastor that I was working with was Tom Fuller. Mm -hmm. And so that's before he came on staff here at Beeson Divinity School. And I remember one day Tommy told me, he said, um, it's always going to be busy. And he told me that at that most opportune time when I probably had You know, three papers, four tests, and, you know, staying up till midnight, you know, just trying to get all of the Greek and the Hebrew and the church history paper and get it, get everything done. And I was, I was like, you got to be kidding me. How is it going to be busier than I am right now in seminary? And then he told me, he said, it's a different busy. It's not the same. You're not, you're not writing papers, but it's a different type of busy. And you just have to learn how to manage your time. And, and that's been a, I think, a lifelong venture. trying to learn how to manage that well. What are the ages of your kids? We're just now empty nesters, so Molly Grace is uh, a senior at the University of Mobile and our son Nathan is a freshman at the University of Auburn.
0: Okay, but the the empty nester uh, phenomenon. That's, that's a real thing. That, that creates is. some space. You miss your kids like crazy, but you have that's, a little extra time. That's right. Absolutely. And so, I mean, it just now happened. So
1: Nathan's at Auburn and he's a freshman. So it just happened in August. And yeah, but just realizing, you know, hey, in fact, now what we did is um, we gave ourselves a gift uh, for arriving successfully at the Empty Nest. And Jane Ellen and I went on vacation. Nice. So we took a week and went on vacation, and it was our gift to each other for not uh, strangling our kids, suffocating our kids, <laughs> and and successfully, you know,
0: launching them uh, to the next phase. Yeah. All right. So we got to fast forward a bit. 2015, yeah. you were called to First Baptist Pelham. Right. You're still a busy family man. You are still, you know, reasonably young to be the senior pastor of a big church like that. And you're succeeding a man who'd been there for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like? What was that call like? What was settling into Pelham like for you and your family?
1: Um, for us, it it was something that, that really made sense. Following Mike Shaw has been a tremendous blessing, and that's a credit to him. I think in many, many cases who you're following can either make you or break you. Mm -hmm. And um, Mike Shaw has always done a great job of being very complimentary in private as well as in public. Mm -hmm. And he kind of, just kind of stepped away and he allows me to to be the pastor and he just is is very encouraging and very supportive and to the people's credit, in eight and a half years, I can honestly say, I've never heard anybody say, well, this is how Mike did it. Hmm. And when you talk to other people who follow long-tenured pastors, they don't have that same grace. They right. don't have that same privilege. Uh, but it really has been a blessing that I I don't hear frequently, well, this is the way Mike did it. But I think, once again, part of that goes back to the education, the experience that you get at Beeson and beyond. You know, the people that would just encourage me, hey, w- when you go into a new place, you don't have to turn over the apple cart in the first six months. Take your time, preach the gospel, love people, because the statement is so true. People do not care how much you know Mm
0: -hmm. until they know
1: how much you care. That's right. And once people know that you really care for them and care about them, then any change that needs to happen will be much more palatable than if you try to kind of come in like a bull in a China cabinet, mm-hmm. and just run your way through, and so I think that's also been beneficial too. Um, and so it's just been a blessing to follow Mike, and
0: um, he's a he's a dear friend. Yeah, and it's been about eight years now. Yeah, what is First Baptist Pelham like? What's the culture of that congregation like? And um, and what's the Lord doing there these days? So, like everybody,
1: we're learning still three years later, how to navigate post-COVID. And um, we're trying to, you know, reach out to those that, you know, maybe have not found their way back to First Baptist Pelham and Mm -hmm. just check on them. But at the heart of who this congregation is, there is a missional DNA to First Baptist Pelham. It's always been there. Mm -hmm. And the last several years, it's really just been accelerated. so we say that we exist to make disciples for a global impact. So that's our little tagline, mm-hmm. make disciples for a global impact. So we got to know what is a disciple and then how is a disciple made. Um, and so I still beg and borrow, right, from John MacArthur, who said, a disciple is a lifelong believing learner of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so we ask each other the question uh, questions of, um, you know, what are you learning, where are you going, and who are you trying to reach? Mm -hmm. And we try to be specific in those answers. What are you learning as a disciple? uh, Where are you taking the gospel? Could be across the street, could be across the globe. Mm -hmm. Um, And then who are you trying to reach? And if a specific person doesn't come to mind in, you know, three seconds or less, then we're probably not being intentional enough. So we quickly say, what's your what, where's your where, and who's your who? What are you learning? Where are you going? Who are you trying to reach? So in a tangible way, in 2023, we will take 23 mission trips because we think that a short term mission trip is a great tool that God uses to help fashion us into the disciple that he wants us to be and to make an impact upon wherever we're going on that mission trip. So in 2024 we're gonna plan 24 mission trips 2025 we'll do 25 mission trips so Uh, the calendar just kinda works in our favor and we're just trying to give people as many opportunities now some of those could be a one day trip to Selma Alabama where we're doing food distribution and gospel conversations mm -hmm. that trip is easy it's free it's one day It doesn't require a whole lot of time we call it low-hanging fruit just about anybody and everybody can do that but then we have other trips where you know, we're going to Peru or we're going to Ireland. We have a team that's just today coming back from Colorado. So we have different, you know, in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth. So we really do take an Acts 1-8 model towards missions. And so we, we celebrate that. Uh, we emphasize that a lot. And, you know, most years we have about 50% of our congregation on some short-term mission trip each year. Mm-hmm. So we want that number to be higher, but 50% is is solid. Yeah. Um, and so about half our people recognize and realize the need and the benefit of taking the gospel somewhere intentionally. Um, and it, it helps to fashion
0: us as disciples. Yeah, That's fantastic. Well, Devin, we're almost out of time, but I've got two more uh, very important questions for you. Number one uh, now that our listeners have gotten to know you and what God's doing in your life and what God's doing in your church A little bit better. How can they be praying for you? Just ask Continue to pray for direction and discernment
1: direction to know You know where where does God want us to go? What's next? For us because the last thing we want to do is just keep on doing the same thing We've always done That's such an easy mm-hmm. temptation, but really Lord, where do you want us to go, and what do you want us to be engaged with and partner with in mission and ministry? So praying for that, and then, and then also just personally, just just praying uh, that the Lord just continue to bless this empty nest season. And man, we are loving it, like you say, uh, but it is an adjustment. And just to just to watch your children and pray that that they'll flourish, uh, all the things that you have done your very best to pour into them and plant into them, by God's grace, to see them go out and choose a church for their first time. Because up until then, they'd gone wherever daddy was pastor, right? And so now they're choosing a church and choosing a ministry and, you know, making decisions and all of that. And so we just find ourselves constantly praying for our children, like so many parents do, and just, uh, just wanting, just asking the Lord just to really bless them and let his favor rest upon them. Mm.
0: All right, last question. After all these years of walking with the Lord, after all these years of serving His people in pastoral ministry, is He still teaching you some things? What's the Lord doing in your life these days? What are you learning from Him?
1: Yeah, I'm learning to be patient, wait, and trust. Um, I've told Molly, Grace, and Nathan, I think just just about underneath every passage of Scripture, you can almost hear the echo of God say, do you trust me and will you obey me? Mm-hmm. And just about any passage you go to, you can hear that underneath. Sometimes it's loud and clear. Sometimes it's under the surface, but you almost hear the Lord asking his people, do you trust me and will you obey me? Mm-hmm. And um, and so I, I see that and I sense that even right now in this season of ministry, uh, Lord is saying, hey, do, do you trust me? Will you obey me? And just here recently, I came across an Adrian Rogers quote that really has just, it's really stuck with me. It's really kind of rocked me when he said something to the effect of, for many, the difference between rejection in God's sight and acceptance in God's sight is the difference between commitment and surrender. He said, people who just merely say, I'm committed to Christ, they just might be rejected by Christ. Mm. Those who say, I'm surrendered unto the Lord, they will forever be accepted in his sight. And you read that and you go, wait a minute, time out. I thought commitment was a good thing because we talk about being committed, but he he distinguishes between when it comes to commitment, usually I'm the one who's in charge of that. Mm. If I say I'm committed to reading my Bible, praying every day, eating right, exercising, being generous, The level of commitment is based upon me. You can't say the word surrender without throwing up your hands. You're relinquishing your control. uh, You're you're turning it over. And Adrian Rogers said, tragically, in the American church, the word commitment has replaced the word surrender.
0: Mm.
1: And God doesn't necessarily... He's not overly concerned about our commitment, but he is overly concerned about our surrender. Mm-hmm. So what is God teaching me? Well, this is pretty fresh. Just over the last few days and weeks is when I came across that quote, but just asking myself, what do I need to surrender unto Christ? It's not just about my commitment. It's about my surrender, because the only place that's the rightful place for King Jesus is first place in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen
0: a very wise word from a couple of very wise pastors. You have been listening to the Reverend Dr. Davin Watkins. He is the senior pastor of First Baptist Church here in Pelham, Alabama. He is an alumnus of Beeson Divinity School and a good friend, good friend of mine, a good friend of this school. We're grateful to you, Pastor Watkins, for this gift of time. We're even more grateful to you for your faithfulness in ministry in our community now for a long time. Uh, Listeners, If you're looking for a church home, First Baptist Church, Pelham's a great place to land. Uh, We love you. We keep praying for you. Pray for us and pray for Pastor Watkins. And we say goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from the campus of Samford University. Our theme music is by Advent Birmingham. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our engineer is Rob Willis, and our show host is Doug Sweeney. For more episodes and to subscribe, visit BeesonDivinity.com slash
1: podcast.
0: You can also find the Beeson Podcast on iTunes and Spotify.